Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 431. Hey, Jonah Ray. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Well, it's good to be here for a 66.66666% repeating uh, hostful intro of the Nerdist Podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where is that know. Matt Myra? He's writing. Oh, he's, he's, he's writing for he's, at midnight. Scribbling away. It's on every night. I don't know why Colbert. he's using a paper and pen to write, but... <laughs> well, I don't know yeah. why he's scribbling. He should be writing words. Yeah, that's true. He should Just be forming words. Yeah, he should. Words... Uh, maybe into sentences. Maybe put some commas and periods in there. It's all part of the Myra. Oh, he has his periods, all right. Hey! hey it's all part of the Myra method. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> I tell you. Oh, gee. Oh, yeah, Matt Myra, he won, he's one lovable curmudgeon. <laughs> I tell you what. He just, uh, you know, he's like, what's the opposite of a ray of sunshine? I'll tell you what that guy is. He is uh, antimatter. Uh, also, I'll be performing at uh, the Carolina Theater in Durham, North Carolina, November 8th. You'll be That's providing smiles where Matt Myra usually provides the opposite. <laughs> he provides smiles. <laughs> That's true. People love him. Come on. Just Come go on. with the bit. I don't want to yes and that. Bail on I want to know but that. <laughs> I want to know but that. Uh, I also am doing some stand-up dates in uh, in December in Chicago and Minneapolis and Seattle. I think I think Matt Myra's going to be there as well, oh, doing some nice. doing some jokes with me. Uh, I'd like to thank for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast, Audible.com. Go to Audible.com/slash/Nerdist and get a free audio book download. That's fun. You could listen whenever and wherever you want, Jonah. I do. I love audiobooks. I've listened to Born Standing Up, the Steve Martin book, uh, probably 20 times. Really? Yeah, it's great. So relaxing. Is it relaxing? Yeah. It's really relaxing. It's just the way his voice, the way he tells the story, and then there's a little interludes with a nice little banjo on it. It's it great. It is nice. Yeah, it's very good. Love Steve. Yeah. Never be able to have him on the podcast, though. Mm-hmm. I won't be able to handle it. That's fine. That's the one, the one person I won't be able to let handle. That ha- let that be that, then. <laughs> we'll just let that be that. We'll yeah. just pretend in our heads that it happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know how we can pretend that we podcasted him by going to audible.com slash nerdist and download Born Standing Up by Steve Martin. <laughs> and then if you, know the, if you know the book well enough... You can just anticipate what's coming up and then just ask him the question. So then what happened after that first we show should, in San Francisco cut up that book. where you were walking home and you had that wad of cash in your pocket? How yeah. did that make you feel? Yeah, and then yeah. you just like hit pause and then that's how you could practice podcasting, people. Yeah, there. That's a great idea. <laughs> I just came up with a really fun Dude, idea. We can fucking podcast anybody that has an audiobook autobiography. That's right. Audible.com has over 100,000 titles to choose from. Every genre. Audible has you covered. Again, that's audible.com slash Nerdist for your free audio book download. Uh, this podcast was Ezra Koenig of Vampire Weekend. That uh, You were at that one. He was fun. I, I was. Yeah, he was a good guy. Uh, Vampire Weekend's third album, Modern Vampires of the City, is out now. It's a great album. You I dug think, it. I think it might be one of their best. Yeah, one yeah, of the yeah. three. One of the three, yeah. They're done. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we recorded this at Meltdown, and uh, and I don't, I don't know. I don't really have anything to say other than it was, it was just a fun... It's, you know, a lot of times... Especially with bands, <clears throat> I never know what to expect. I feel like musicians can kind of be the trickiest ones. Um, yeah. Because you just don't know, you know, maybe you're Marilyn Manson going on Talking Dead. I don't know. <laughs> maybe you made out with a bottle of vodka before you came on the show. I'm not saying that happened, but maybe you did. I thought you were maybe ta- you did. I thought you were talking about musicians. <laughs> oh! We're all stars in the dope show. <laughs> <laughs> That's Pussy Talking Donut Dope Show, though. Yeah. Yo. Oh, we're all stars in it. Dope Which show. One? Dope show. It's in the dope show, yo. Yo, that was a dope show. You want to get some fro, yo, with your dope show, yo? Yo. 
You see, Sons of Anarchy, that's a dope show. Dope show. Hey, there's a truck outside. You want to get some snow cows? No. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I know that did not fit the meter, but I still had to express my positive affirmation. Dig. Yo. Uh, so Ezra Koenig, uh, great guest, uh, Vampire Weekend, Jonah Ray, Chris Hardwick, signing off from the Nerdist Podcast intro. Episode number 431. I know it sounds like I'm signing off, but we're actually starting the podcast, so that's actually poor professional broadcasting lingo. Good night and good luck. (laughs) Nah. (laughs) What was that? (laughs) That was just a little extra emotion that had to come out. (laughs) Wow. I just got a little little glimpse into how you come. Lyle. (laughs) Who's Lyle? What do you mean? Who's Lyle? Who's who's, you who's Lyle? No, but you're saying You just Lyle down there and don't worry about it. Lyle. (laughs) Peter. I have a really bad come tell. People always know. (laughs) Lyle. Are you coming in there? No. Come tell that. (laughs) Start the podcast. So what about the fire, Chris? What about the fire that's happening? I'll put it out. <laughs> Get the open up the the, the hose box. Okay. Oh, I dropped the box. It's getting worse. Oh, we're sorry to Ezra Canning of Vampire Weekend because everyone tuned out by now <laughs> and switched over to WTF or How Did This Get Made? <laughs> and that sounded like this. <laughs> Step, 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 step. Door close. Lyle. <laughs> now entering Nerdist.com. Here is a water. Oh, great. Oh, if you want a smaller water, sorry. <laughs> Would you like a thimble, thimble of, water? of water? Yeah, this is this is like extra small. Yeah. Would yeah. you like a couple of drops of water? <laughs> this is uh, to create more waste. It's a great way <laughs> to... <laughs> we want our Why guests you throw your hands to up, feel Katie? big. People take two sips of the big bottles and then waste it. So Not me. Water. I'll... So many people do. Yeah. I so I pound through this liter and a half. Do um, do you need to wear it? <laughs> you don't have to, but if you like them, yeah, don't. Do you want to live in the physical space? I think so. <laughs> All right. Well, you I'll know keep, what I do? I split on. the diff. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna start with them off. Okay. Yeah. Goes. Yeah. All right. Well, you what? sound really weird. I mean, you probably can't hear that, but you sound so weird right now. You I, don't. I'm you're sure. So, <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I feel weird. Now I like this tune too. Yeah, yeah. this is That's good. Better. They're here if you need them. Okay, I, I'm just listening for like levels and stuff. And okay, sure and narcissism, right. Cool. right? And yeah, I like to hear my own voice. Yeah, yeah. So I can oh, masturbate later. That is the only reason to listen. Yeah, that's really. Are you guys playing in town this weekend? Last night we played last night. So yeah. no, no, yeah, it's over. So sorry, I was I was traveling back from Boston yesterday. Oh, cool. How was the show? It was very good. Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. Have you played there before? We played there before. More people came this time, though. So that, was, that was good. Yeah, Beirut opening up for you? Yeah, it was a great bill. It's us in Beirut. Nathan Fielder came. 
Nice. I love that Nathan Fielder. Love him. I was just talking he about one of his pranks. Prank. I like that. Um, did you see the one he did on Twitter where he told people to text someone saying, hey, we need to talk? Like, text your significant oh, other, right, hey, right, we right. need to talk, and then just don't text them back That no is a what. really shitty thing to do to someone. Holy shit. Like, the, uh, like people would reveal the, so much of themselves. Like, it's like, what? What's wrong? What do you... Is this... Is this, did you find out? Is it yeah, because I, I made out God. with this person? Oh, yeah. God damn it, that's brutal. Yeah, he did another one where it was uh, like um, uh, two ounces for 50. And then text immediately oh, after or like, something. Yeah, like yeah. text your parents and like that. And then that wasn't for you. <laughs> and then like a lot of the results I was looking through was like people, parents going, uh, uh, are you dealing drugs again? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Maybe if you have a history, don't, don't play that, do that prank. Because yeah. then yeah. it's not a prank anymore. Did he did he just watch from the side or was he in the crowd? Oh no no he uh, he he came and did like a little performance. Oh, I wasn't just saying Nathan Fielder was in the audience. <laughs> no, but I mean that that it was cool that he was there. He came so after Beirut played, he came on stage and um, kind of came. I was like, oh, Van probably can ask me to introduce them. Um, but I I asked them a favor too. I wanted you know to take a minute and, uh, and then he's like, you know, my girlfriend's in the audience and everybody's clapping and he brings her on stage. <laughs> And then he's talking about like how much he loves her, and then he starts uh, playing uh, that uh, Lone Star song, "Amazed," and he starts like singing it really awkwardly, and she gets like really uncomfortable. And then he proposes to her, and she it's like on stage, and she refused to marry him. It was funny. That's great. What was the reaction from people? Well, I was I was watching it from like on a screen backstage. People seemed into it. Yeah. I mean, I think it, you know at this point people. I don't, I don't think people were really uh, sweating the, like, oh, like if it was real or not, but yeah, I yeah. think people were enjoying it. What is it? Is it stressful to play the Hollywood Bowl, or is it like, yay, we made it, or is it, uh, or is it, there's so much that you have to worry about that you don't get to think about it? You know, it's, well, there, there's like little bits of stress. I mean, being on tour, I always got to worry about my voice, so you're not going to like wake up in the morning and be like, oh, we got a big show tonight, can I sing? But outside of that, I feel like increasingly calm when we walk on stage for a big show. Um, people put more pressure on it because it's like it's the Hollywood Bowl and there's more people coming and it's like L.A. and stuff. But it's really not. Yeah, it doesn't feel like much to worry about lately. I mean, it's just it's not a it's not like a small rock club. It's a fucking it's like one of the most famous venues in the country. Yeah, no, it's true. But then it's like there's not that much. I mean, worst case scenario, something goes really wrong, you have to cancel the show. Other than that, there's not that much that can really happen. Do you That's, have anxiety about that? That I do have anxiety about it. It happened once, and it was definitely one of the worst days of my life. We had to. I basically realized that I my voice was totally gone, and I really thought I was going to be able to do it. And we had this, uh, you know, few thousand people out at this like beautiful spot near Seattle. Basically, had to send somebody on stage to say Ooh. I'm oh. performing tonight, and I could like hear everybody booing and stuff oh. like sitting backstage and then i had to like go to the doctor and get steroids oh yeah, yeah you look great well thank you yeah, yeah real buff <laughs> and then but that's also how yeah. i got jacked so <laughs> turned my life Some around sweet pecs there yeah, yeah so that, do, you, that's how... do you find la audiences to be more disinterested than regular audiences mm, well the hollywood bowl is an interesting place because you know at most times when you play a general admission show you have the most hardcore fans come at 11 right. a.m. or earlier to be in the front row. So you're playing in the front, you know, everybody in the front has signs and they're psyched. 
Whereas at a seated venue, those people are in the back. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then in the front, you have, you know, people who probably paid a lot of money for the, you know, ticket on StubHub right. or something like that. Yeah. So you kind of have this, like, it's funny, it's flipped. So it, especially the Hollywood Bowl, so big and, and so steep in the, you know, I'm looking out in the distance and I can kind of see these little pockets of people jumping down and, I look, and then I look down right in front of me and there's like, some teenage girls and their dad like sitting on his phone so, yeah. <laughs> eating lobster it's yeah. just not a it's not a rock venue right it's like but, you had there's like the reverse pit where the pit is like the people are jumping around like yeah. way on the hill in yeah. the back and they're getting it in the like in the past like by the time the music hits them you've already played it it's been a few seconds before that that's what thing <laughs> oh, we, like, it's not a totally to, different chord it's like TV yeah astronomy that go out yeah. into space yeah, yeah, yeah exactly it's just so far like I, every time you see those like old huge concerts and like they get everyone clapping and it's just like i love oh, totally the, out of sync yeah totally out of yeah. sync from what's going on on the stage but i'm not going to i'm not going to say that that's an la thing that's a specific the seated like, amplifier yeah cuz we, we've had great shows yeah. in la i don't think la crowds are particularly uh disinterested or anything how do you know what wh- what has to happen in your brain for you to say like this was this show went well or ah, i don't think we got it like what what is it an audience reaction or is it your performance what has to what's the checklist well pussy <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of there pussy. we go oh, how, much, how much Plus. pussy all the pussy yeah every pussy all the, all the pussies all every yeah, pussy yeah okay well i'm i'm a kind of a I can be, like, kind of negative about... I, I don't know. I just feel like it takes a lot for me to feel like that was a great show. But, you know, you have to have a... For, for a show, really, to, to stand out... Thankfully, we rarely have awful shows. Rarely walk off stage and be like, wow, those people hated us. So it really... It needs to be, like, everybody, like, jumping up and down and, like, hands in the air to feel like it was a great show. And, you know, sometimes that happens and sometimes it doesn't. But people express themselves differently at concerts. Yeah, and then, but, and you're also always, you're not always as a performer the best judge of whether or not, like, you have some cues in your mind where you go, oh, well, if people are doing A and B, then that, that must therefore mean that they were enjoying it. But that's not always the case. Right. So, no, and I always have to remember that when I'm at concerts, I'm not in the front row, you know, screaming my lungs out after every song. Like, I'm the type of guy, I'll hang in the back, maybe after 30 minutes, go get a drink. Maybe, like, stand by the bathroom, look at my phone for a few minutes, then go back in. And it's not because I, I dislike the concert, but, you know, some part of a concert sometimes is coming in and out and, like, you know, taking a break and talking to your friends for yeah. a second. Yeah. Whereas when you're on stage and you look and you can really see somebody on their phone or talking to their friend, <laughs> you feel like, God, this person must be having, like, a terrible time. But it's... Not true, I think. You do forget. You do forget when you're, you know, and you can get so mad and be like, God, why can't that guy? You're like, oh, well, I was that guy, and I was enjoying the show fine. I just had to quick do a thing, or I had to check something. People don't don't even think about it anymore. Well, especially now, especially now that people, I mean, can you imagine, like, performing in the, like, in the 80s or the 70s? Let's say the 70s. No one could be focused on anything else other than the show. And right. whatever drugs they were, had with yeah. them, yeah. it must have been awful. Yeah. <laughs> so boring. Yeah. yeah, I can't be. I mean, you know, this is the the live tweet era. I can't be mad at you know because that's like a <clears throat> kind of a generational thing that some people are like. Oh my god, everybody's holding up their phone, taking pictures and taking videos. Like, it's like you're not even there. But I feel like a little bit more on the side of the kids. Yeah. You know that I can relate to that. Like, it's cool. You have your phone out. Take a lot of pictures probably like tweet throughout the 
the show about what's going on. And yeah, I can't be mad at it. How old are you? I'm 29. You're 29. Okay. So you are, ju- you're sort of, you're really more on the side of the audience than like someone who's, uh, who doesn't understand. I mean, like you sort of, you grew up with this culture. Right. I grew up in the internet era. I mean, but maybe. But you remember when there wasn't really internet, right? You were young, but you must remember some of yeah, it. Yeah, no, when I first went to concerts, people were not live tweeting them. It's true. Yeah. I saw like both sides of it. They were live zining them. They were just <laughs> making zines yeah. in and the middle of a show. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, dude, where's the stapler? Dude, uh, yeah, did you bring yeah, the stapler? Yeah, yeah. Speaking of live zines. Oh, I got a Kinko's key. Oh, no, dude. <laughs> really loud Xerox machine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm glad that those days are behind us. Yeah. <laughs> it's bizarre. I got to buy one seat for me, three for the Xerox. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just pass them back. Pass them back, bro. <laughs> Do you, and you prefer it now? You think it's better now? I think so. I mean, I'm constantly... Well, maybe maybe it's just because of Twitter and the internet that I feel like I get more a taste of what, you know, teenagers are thinking these days than I would have in another era. They yeah. ain't thinking about anything at all. That may be true. But I always kind of think, like, yeah, I, I think it's, it is kind of cooler that people can, <coughs> you know, do things the way they want to and can, you know, experience a concert. I, I don't think there's anything cool about whatever forcing people to like stare at you during a show just like you know with music you can't force people to buy an album anymore right you know they have to they have to want to give you money for it so in some ways i feel like this is the best era to be a musician but isn't it crazy that there was a time where artists were just blissfully unaware of what their fans thought other than the fact that they came out to a show and then they would leave the show and never really have any idea like the only real connection they would have had was Oh, what did they write in Rolling Stone, or what did the you know what? Yeah, uh, what like, happened at the signing at Tower yeah, Records? Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, but the, otherwise, no idea of like every little thing that people liked or didn't like, or what they would want do differently, or like. As performers now, we're so much more connected to everyone that it's almost like you can't. Those days that I think of the sort of clueless, like well, whatever kind of rock star guys, those right. are dead. Yeah, but I guess the probably the anxiety levels of. Uh, musicians and artists probably hasn't changed that much you know like it, it's true now you have the option to to read every little thing about you and that's something that you have to manage and you know hopefully not do but even back in the day people yeah people would whatever read the rolling stone review and re- read little press i feel like they would still probably go crazy worrying about how everybody felt and so so in that sense i feel like it's probably not that different i guess maybe that's true because then they wouldn't know they yeah. would have no way of knowing Sounds great. <laughs> right, they get like one bad review in the Village Voice. Well, you know, it's like Billy Billy Joel used to like go on like tirades when he'd get like a bad review in in like a local paper in New York, like on stage. Maybe he would have chilled out a little bit if he had all people like you know tweeting at him all the then time. Then like, there would just, Billy. There'd just be like a, a stream of all caps tweets. <laughs> then he would be. Oh, then he would be. Billy Joel was the Kanye West. Then he would be Kanye. Yeah, he might have been. Yeah. <laughs> well, so how do you guys keep from? You know, it's interesting to hear you say like, ah, well, I'm sort of negative about stuff. Like, is it? Do you really feel never satisfied? Do you feel? And do you feel like that's necessary? Do you think it's necessary to never be satisfied? That's an interesting question. It's been on my mind a lot. I'm often. Um, sometimes I'm, I surprise myself by how dissatisfied I am with seemingly satisfying experiences i mean that's like just a a general life thing that i think everybody has 
sometimes like you know you you dream about something big like a like a big concert you put a lot of pressure on it and then it happens and then you're kind of left feeling like but 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 was it actually good was it as good as it could be and then you kind of realize that maybe that the, those questions that anxiety never really leaves you and I, I do think it it's partially just yeah what it means to be an artist that you do have to be hard on yourself sometimes i think making our albums we're not making making our albums was often very difficult i mean there are like great moments but when when i think when i boil it down to like a, a, a feeling there's definitely like a lot of stress and anxiety related to it but i think without it they wouldn't have been as good some have kind of like two minds about it like that you do have to be hard on yourself but then you also gotta enjoy yourself sometimes yeah do you though do you ever do you enjoy yourself sometimes well usually usually after the show after the show i mean just because the the weight of the performance is over and you can kind of relax so like last night got on stage i wasn't like i wasn't nervous i, I felt like very calm but uh, but in my mind i was wondering like was wondering is this good are people enjoying it you know watching the guy on, on his phone that type of thing and then finally after the show that's when i could finally enjoy myself so it'd be nice to kind of find more of a middle ground, but yeah, you gotta you gotta worry, I guess. I I, I was thinking lately. <clears throat> I don't know why I've been thinking about this, but um, I have a nephew, and there's one moment of him when he was a kid that sticks out in my mind, and I'm just sort of realizing now why I've been thinking about it lately. My brain was trying to express something I didn't mm. know what it was, <laughs> but when he was like. I don't know, maybe eight years old. It was Chris. It was Christmas, uh-huh. and he and he got a fucking amazing haul of presents. Nintendo sixty four. I've seen the video. <laughs> no, no, that kid goes yeah. crazy. No, that's not that kid. That's oh, it's not, not that kid. That's no, not that kid. Check down the story then. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Check back in. Okay. No, Chris, your so, Wikipedia states clearly it's that kid. <laughs> that so, is that it kid. Might be wrong. Okay, well, if Wikipedia said then, if hard Wikipedia says it, then it's true. But uh, so he gets this. He gets like all these presents that he wanted. Hmm. And so I guess I was you're sort of expecting him to be like he's going to be the happiest kid in the world cuz he yeah. got all the stuff he wanted. And it was watching this child who who had no filter or, or you know like just didn't have grown-up skills yet trying to process getting all of these things that he wanted. Mm. And he didn't know how to react. He was like he looked and then he cried for a second and then he like he, he like hid because he didn't, he, like, in his mind, he wanted all these things, and they were given to him, but he didn't know, like, it, what I imagined that he was going through was, am, am I supposed to be happy? Am I supposed to be sad? This is the thing that I wanted? I don't know yeah. how to, everyone was looking at right. him and expecting him to be like, huh? Huh? Yeah. And just, he just didn't know how to give whatever, he didn't know how to process it. didn't it. fill the hole. That he thought needed to be filled. Well, no, I, don't I don't even think it's that. I think it's just the kid really had no idea what to do with the thing that he now had, that he had all the things he wanted. Play like, with it. What do I do? Do you know what's interesting is I feel like you could tell that story to ten different people and ten different people would be like, oh, he was probably thinking this. Yeah, right. everyone just projects. I think he was experiencing the emptiness of late capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> but without having studied economics or sociology, he didn't yeah. really he didn't know. Have that day started that really, his path. He didn't right. really have the understanding of spreadsheet data to really... Yeah, it was also weird it. that everything he wanted was an economics or sociology book. <laughs> yeah. And he got them yeah, all, he got but he all. didn't know what to do. Yeah. Oh, I did, my nephew is Noam Chomsky. Did I not mention? Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. 
so that probably makes a lot of things I want clear. you to write a one-man show called My Nephew's Gnome Child. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 I, I but that's a very, very real feeling. I think what it's meant to me lately is is that, um, you know, it's... It's a, a lot of a lot of fun things are happening, or a lot of things are happening, and you know, and, and I assume in, in your case too, and there is that kind of moment of like, oh, is this it? It's happening. Am I? How am I supposed to? What am I supposed to do? Am I not embracing it? It's like it's the overthinking and not knowing how to, rather than just like, ah, right. Well, and also when at a concert, as as opposed to a lot of other things, it's if you have to experience a bit of stress or a bit of you have to enjoy yourself a little bit less so that the audience can enjoy themselves more. That makes perfect sense because yeah. ultimately they're the ones who should be having a great time. Yeah. You know, they're the ones who should be getting drunk. Like if I got drunk on stage, I pro- I don't think I'd perform as well. I might like mess up my voice or something. I'd probably be like a little bit looser or something, but it's not for me to do that. I think it's for, it's for the audience to have a great time. So occasionally that trade off makes sense. When you were younger, if you heard if you heard your future self or someone else like you talking about like well it's not exactly what you think it's going to be would you have been the kind of person who like hey fuck you man it's you you got what you wanted it's all awesome all the time and you should never have any problems or um i think uh well i don't know i think um i guess at any time in your life you, you always need something something else to kind of look forward to mm-hmm. a little bit. So, you know, when you're on tour, it can be difficult because you're playing a show every day and kind of in this weird zone. So you kind of like, then you look forward to time off. And then when you have your time off, you look forward to making new music again. And then when you're making new music, you look forward to performing it for people and getting feedback. And then and then you do that. It's a vicious that's cycle. Then, then yeah, nice. but that's, that's, the, the, that's the thing that kind of messes, you know, everybody up, I think, which is it's like, you're always looking for the next thing to do. It's always like, even in, at, the, at a smaller scale, like, oh, well, tonight I have a thing to go to. And then, like, once that thing's and you're like, well, I got to get up in the morning because I got to go and do this or I got to right. fly out to this. And that's the thing that I can, that, that, when you have that mindset of just always, it's always like another thing you got to do. On to you, the next one. On to the next one. You kind of realize, you kind of, like, life starts, like, kind of slipping away from you. At that, because it could be two years. You're like, oh, I was always just ready. I was always just waiting for the next thing to happen, and it's been two years now, and it just kind of passed by. We're always just waiting for shit to happen. Well, or <clears throat> you know, it's like, oh, if I could just play this venue, or if I could just play these size venues, and you get that. Oh, if I could just play this bigger one. Oh, if I could just do two shows there. Right. Oh, if I could just have this. You know, yeah. it's always the. I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse. I mean, the blessing. Curse, Chris. It is a curse, <laughs> but it's also a I blessing. Live with and it. It's a. It, but it's also a blessing in the sense that. It it does make you strive to always try to do better, but then the curse side is that you get caught up in that pattern of you know like well when are you going to be satisfied like, like when do you stop when, and just live when, your life when's enough right and I mean there, there's obviously many many moments of satisfaction that come with you know having like genuine fans and you know I'm sure you guys have the same experience that people that certainly that that makes you feel good but yeah in terms of like a career it is very easy to get caught up just because the way that these entertainment businesses work is that it is always kind of looking for the next move and will you play that venue or something and then i did i've had a few moments at being at festivals and watching kind of older bands play who are like the headliner and you know they kind of that's as high as you can go there's nothing beyond being the headliner so you know when you you kind of like watch them and they're finally there and i kind of realized like you know it doesn't i don't want to dedicate my whole life to to just like 
trying to reach like the very top. You know, like if that happens, it happens. But it's there's something good I think about escaping that kind of like obsessive. Yeah, I just wonder like how Paul McCartney feels about being a headliner for 50 years. Like he's been doing, he's been at the top of that game for 50 years. Well, it probably just long. feels like, oh, this is just how it is. Like I don't even, he doesn't even think in terms of that anymore. Mm-hmm. I think if you, I think he would only ever feel it if it got taken away, and then he'd be like, "Oh, but that's obviously not going to happen at this point." I don't know. It just seems it just that's mind-boggling to me. That guy, like they were twenty, whatever, twenty-two, twenty-three. Yeah, but it's just his life. Like you can't. I mean, like he doesn't know. It's like it's like if someone who had blonde hair would be like, "What's it like to have black hair?" You'd be like, "Pretty good, Chris." I'll tell you. Right, you know, it's nice. Yeah, it's nice. (laughs) Is your your last name pronounced Koenig? Or that's right. Yeah, it's Koenig. So, because we we have a a, one of our mutual friend named Danielle, dear dear friend Danielle Koenig. Oh yeah, who is the daughter of Walter Koenig, who was uh, oh on Star Trek. Yeah, my grandfather's name was Walter Koenig too. Oh really? Different guy. Totally different guy. But it's a is a Russian. It's German. German. Um, yeah, yeah, Dick Chekhov's not actually Russian. I'm just letting you know. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I believe everything I see on television. Yeah, it's um, the the truth is that because it looks so much like Koenig, and there are people who have that last name who pronounce it Koenig, I've um, I very rarely correct people. <laughs> In fact, last night at the after party, somebody came up and was like, "Wait, tell me how do you pronounce your last name?" And I was like, "Koenig." One of my roommates from college, somebody I've known for years, was there and was like, really? <laughs> and, he, and he's like, oh, I always thought it was Koenig. And everybody was like, oh, yeah, we all thought it was Koenig. And I was like, yeah, you know, you can keep saying Koenig. But yeah. in, in German, it's a slightly different pr- it's pronunciation anyway, so I kind of feel like who cares. So who's right, really? Right, yeah. <laughs> um, did you, have you, and you guys, are the, the Koenigs must be related at some point in some ancestral... Well, it depends because you got, you got your Jewish Koenigs... Mm-hmm. Then you got your your German uh, German German Koenigs or Koenigs, so it's unclear like how everybody kind of comes together. But um, my dad's been involved in some sort of uh, Koenig family uh, listserv, uh-huh. so I have gotten to know like how deep our specific branch of the Koenig family runs. Met some fourth cousins, especially being on tour. Oh, sure. There's a lot of, you know, I met some fourth cousins in St. Louis and stuff like that. So they're definitely, you know, a fairly big family. But, yeah, I don't know. I, like, I used to have a teacher in um, high school, Mrs. Koenig. There's definitely no relation there. Oh, because it didn't even say the same. Yeah. So you guys can't be possibly related. You could go to Germany and find, like, a whole branch, I would imagine. It's possible. Well, the funny thing is, it's a German name, but the, uh, but none of my family actually came from Germany. In fact, I found this out from the listserv my dad forwards me. Interesting <laughs> little tidbit. Ezra, look at this. Yeah, that basically the OG Koenig dude came from uh, Galicia, which is in Poland. Um, and when he, they've and, the, and apparently there's some sort of family band. This is why it got forwarded to me because there's like some picture of just these like. Old ass like shtetl dudes holding like a I don't know some kind of weird stringed instrument, and and so it got forwarded to me like oh check it out like the bands it was you know? your destiny <laughs> are you yeah. sure it just wasn't a picture of Mumford and Sons <laughs> oh it could have been it, it was, from last weekend but the sepia tone <laughs> um, yeah and it just said oh this is like the family band from Galicia and at first you know there's also a place called Galicia in uh, Spain 
And I was like, oh, I knew I was Spanish. Yeah. That makes so much sense. And then I, then I looked it up and it was Polish. Know, it was Polish. Yeah. Yeah. See, Ezra, it skips every fifth generation. Yeah. <laughs> so so you're great, 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 great. I also want to talk for a second about how much I really enjoy your Babar jacket. Oh, thanks. Babar doing yoga. This is brand new. Somebody gave this to me at the after party last night. Nice. Denim on denim. Yeah. That's fucking fantastic. Hand painted. They hand painted that. Yeah. Damn it, someone gave it to you. You know, I, it, it, I do think. To Etsy! We're surrounded by yeah. things people have given us. No, I know that. But somebody but, made this blanket. Yeah. 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 yeah people, wow. make, people make lots okay. of stuff. Make lots of stuff. That shit. <laughs> but no one has Any yet shit. made us a Babar jean jacket. Well, the best part is that it fits, <laughs> it worked out so well. Someone just handed to you at the show last night? Yeah, well, there's um, uh, this girl. A young actress who's a big Vampire Weekend fan. We never met before, but she came to the show and she, um, once I'd like written a tweet, kind of like a dumb joke about how I wanted a, a Bobard jacket as opposed to a Barboard jacket. <laughs> and, and I basically was like, I, I'm going to get a jeans jacket with Barber. This is like a long time ago. And then at the after part, she just came up and gave this to me and it fit and everything. And it's, I mean, it's really one of the best gifts I've ever gotten. That's fantastic. Yeah. Right. What was your reaction on that day when you got everything you wanted? Huh? What was your reaction? Well, you know, the, it's really <laughs> coming full. You guys know what you're doing. Everything's kind of coming together. Um, well, you know, it's funny. I guess it's like the things that you really want. Yeah. You'd, you're surprised by. Right. You would think that selling out the Hollywood Bowl, I'd be walking on air, but you know, I'm at the after yeah. parties, you know, sipping. Sipping some Patron in the corner, kind of wondering what's the meaning of life. Why do I feel so empty? And then somebody hands you a jeans jacket, and then you're on top of the world. Back to cloud nine. You yeah, had a exactly. Babar-sized jean jacket hole in your heart. This is, is what now. I needed. Yeah. But see, this is the kind of thing where uh, if this were like the 70s and you were like 70s rock guy, yeah. then all of a sudden you would become super obsessed with that jacket, and you'd never perform without it, and it, you'd oh, get yeah, really yeah. superstitious about it. Well, there's still Are room for that to Are you going to perform happen. with that jacket on? It depends, you know. You get the fall coming up. Some going to be cold well, that's outdoor true. shows. I ho- hopefully, because truthfully, I-, I like I like jackets. I like sweaters. I'm going to the new I direction. Need to know. But <laughs> I, like, I like jackets and I like sweaters, but you also don't want to be a sweaty pig right. on stage, right? And this is this is one it's of the really, really hard pig. parts about being a guy in a band. Yeah, I don't yeah. think a Vampire Weekend is a sweaty band. Well, no. our our bassist is. Uh, I mean, I don't think I'm blowing up his spot. He he would uh, say that he he sweats quite a bit on stage. Do you? I'd say the drummer has got to sweat like some of those. He sweats more, fast but he also and hard being being a drummer. Um, he can also like wear stuff that you know. He, yeah. he can wear like a basketball jersey yep. or a tank top or something. But lately, I haven't been sweating that much. I've been learning to do. More with less. Do you, uh, every time I've seen you performing, you're usually playing an Epiphone Sheridan. That's right. Are you still playing that? Yeah. Is it modified? These are questions no, I No, it's not modified. It's Stock Epiphone is, pickups you're using? Yeah. Wow. The, well, the funny thing is, is that when the band started, we were at college, and you know, I, I played guitar, but I didn't even have a guitar with me at school, because um, I hadn't really been thinking about guitar that much for a while. And then the band started, and I wanted to be playing guitar again. And um, CTR drummer, who was originally a guitarist, he'd never really played drums before, was like, oh, okay, well, you can borrow my guitar. And it happened to be an Epiphone Sheridan. And I've never been like much of a tech head when it comes to guitar, so I was like, oh, that looks cool. Yeah. And, and it sounds fine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I started playing it, and um, 
and then we just like at a certain point it was kind of like time for for me to buy a guitar and I just bought the same one and we've kind of stuck with it and of course on record we use different things and Rostin plays different guitars but it really is just like the fact that that's what CT had in his dorm yeah. room wow it's a now, good workhorse though. now why did he decide yeah. as a guitarist why did he say I'll play drums well we we asked him to uh, originally <laughs> was um, it a group meeting you're like we have something to tell you well I guess yeah <laughs> we need a we drummer. started the band orig- originally my vision was uh, to have another friend playing drums but he he was like a friend from uh, New Jersey who wasn't at school so it didn't really make sense and then Rostam had the idea that Chris could play drums and we'd already like played music before in other capacities so we just like gave it a try and um, and it worked and then how long before you guys were like, was there any point where you're like, eh, maybe you shouldn't play drums? Or like, did, did did it pretty quickly like, oh, this makes sense? Or did it take a while before it clicked? No, it, very very quickly it made sense. And, and I think definitely the kind of, um, on some of the early songs, the fact that I hadn't played guitar in a while, Chris had barely played drums, Rostam hadn't played keyboard all that much, all of those things, I think, helped us to kind of come up with more original arrangements. Yeah, you do for have the some songs. weird chord changes. That so I think we just kind of realized that 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 it it, it benefited us to not have because like CT could have been on guitar and he could have like been shredding and stuff. But I think playing drums probably forced him to be a little bit more creative. Mm. Oh, that's um, a really interesting idea. Yeah. I remember uh, reading an interview with a Paul McCartney once where he's like talking about how they were just like poorly trying to play Chuck Berry songs and that's what became the Beatles sound. Like that, what came out, because they weren't able to play exactly what they wanted, it sounded something different and that's what made it them more noticeable to people. Was just that like, it was like them fucking something up. Well, he also started right. as a trumpet player until he realized he couldn't sing and play the trumpet at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> started playing so the Beatles originally had a trumpet instead of a bass. That would have been sweet. Been really <laughs> yeah, but it's like, you it's know. Dave Matthews band. You know, you go to Guitar Center and you watch like the Guitar Center virtuosos just like <laughs> shredding yeah. on their various instruments. And that's and, where they'll be. And it kind of, well, I mean. We yeah, could walk across there right now. Yeah. They're yeah. right across the street. For, I mean, and. That's that's. I don't think there's anything wrong with just loving an instrument technically. You know, if you just want to like learn how to play, you know, Van Halen stuff on your guitar. I think that's like a, a very noble pursuit. It's very difficult, but it to me it, it doesn't necessarily get you anywhere in terms of like making something fresh. Yeah. Well, knowing every chord doesn't mean you know how in what order you can put them in. To make a good song, yeah, it's 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 good to be like a little bit frustrated trying to figure out what, what you want to do. Yeah. What do you think goes through the minds of the like guitar store virtuosos when they? Because wait till somebody yeah. walks in and that's hears a, me. Do you think that's what it is? This lick. I think, think that's, that's what, what happens. Also, it's the same sort of thing that goes on with uh, girls that show up at parties looking to be seen. It's that sort of, uh, they'll see me. Guys do that. They'll like girls me. who show up at parties and start just like playing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they start playing Eruption. I hate that because all the guys make a beeline for them and it's like, really that? difficult to get in there. Not, yeah. Guys. Well, I think, um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to like diss it because especially I think somebody who probably can play Eruption would probably look at my primitive guitar playing and, you know, just think I was jealous. But the truth is, I think there is something satisfying in learning how to do some, learning how to shred. It's it's almost like um, I don't know, 
running a marathon or something. It's like you're, you're training your brain you to do something me. technically. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's something... It, do, it feels good just to, like, teach yourself something. And, you know, it makes sense to me that there are people who, you know, maybe they, their day job is not in music, but they still, like, on the weekends, like, to just, like, learn some guitar stuff. Yeah, a couple months ago I bought the Bold is Love DVD that teaches you every fucking lick of Bold is Love, the entire oh, really? album. And I was like, this is actually pretty fun. And now I can play Bold is Love. If anyone wants me to play their but what do you think? No, I don't think anyone. What do you think would motivate? Because, like, literally, we could walk into Guitar Center right yeah. now. And there would probably be three people, at least three people, in different corners. Is, yeah. it, is it that they're just trying out different guitars, or do you really think they're like, this is my... I'm, they think of it like a performance? Well, I, 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 I... There's an archetype I see there a lot, because I frequent that guitar center and the Sam Ash across the street, but there's an archetype I see there a lot of... Uh, I end up there at night sometimes, like it's like a Thursday or Friday night, mm. and I need to like, grab some strings or something like that. And there's, Wait, uh, why are you there? <laughs> so I'm just an example of strings. Uh, okay, but what okay. night of the week? Is like it? a Thursday or Friday. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. You with me, John? I'm there. I'm, I'm there with you. I, dro- I drove there. Uh, <laughs> no, there's. A, I see often uh, older, middle-aged-looking gentlemen with a uh, girl that is there with him, that, and I and I always assume they're on a date. And this is part oh, of the date is let's run into date. Guitar Center, yeah. and while lazy we're in Guitar day. Center, I'm going to play this thing that I know how to play. So he's peacocking. Over over. He's peacocking. That's what I see a lot yeah. happening yeah. there. I mean, even going back to... And I, I, I sort of got the joke when I first saw Wayne's World, which was in the theaters. Oh, right, right. And it's like... And no he starts playing, there's no yeah, stairway. Yeah. That, 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 that's obviously a type which of... they had to change when they came out of... When it went to home video, They it, it no longer sounds like Stairway to Heaven he, when he starts, oh, starts they, to they play. No, he yeah. just goes... And the guy oh, stops like that. Yeah, because of the rightness, yeah. So the only time you ever heard them start to play Stairway was in the theater. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. But even just, just you know, that movie's 20, over 20 years old, and mm-hmm. even then, and that probably goes back another 20 years of pe- of just, like, that guy right. in yeah. every fucking guitar store. No stairway. Denied. Well, yeah, but maybe, <laughs> you know, it makes me, you know, in, like, Washington Square Park, there's people who just show up and start breakdancing. Yep. For, and, and obviously there's the dudes who are, like, trying to make money, but then they're on the, you know, outside of that, they're the guys who just start dancing, and they're doing, like, some pretty intense stuff, so they're, like, half peacocking. But then they're also just trying to, like, meet other dancers and, like, show each other their moves. So maybe there is a bit of, I don't know. It's just, it's like, a lonely guitarist trying to... Socialize. Yeah, maybe, maybe you know what, maybe he's, he's hoping that a drummer will just walk up and be like, hey, you're really good, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's Friday night. Wanna you got the goods. Has that, has that happened? I want to know if that's happened. Of course that had to have happened. Right? That had to have happened. Were they were were a band? Is anyone in a successful band that has found a fellow member of the band at a at, guitar center? There's there, that had to have happened at some point, and maybe it wasn't a guitar center, but a guitar store. No, I needed to be a guitar. Maybe center. like a McCabe's or something, like an old guitar store. Well, McCabe's is gonna be real folky. It is so when Joni Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> What do you guys? Uh, would, would, now that the album's out and you're touring, are, are you even thinking about the next thing that you guys are going to do, or is it just like, well, it's, do you take it one thing at a time? Yeah, kind of. I mean, everybody always, you know, you obviously get little ideas here and there, write them down, make a, a little demo or something. But we're certainly not like getting together and earnestly trying to make the next album yet. It's just, you know, it's just difficult being on tour. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll kind of be, like, touring for the rest of the year. And then when we finally have some free time, then I think we can think more clearly about it. 
And this is something about, you know, this last album was our third album. There's something about the these three that kind of feels like a a set. So more so than 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 in the times with the previous albums, it kind of feels like now's a good time to like take a breath. I just kind of feel like whatever happens next will be like a new era. Yeah. Well, there was a gap, uh, a longer gap between the third and the second as opposed to the first and the second, yeah. right? Yeah, because like there was that. I think Contra came out. It seemed like it came out almost instantly. Were those songs that you had written around the same time as uh, the some, first one? Some of them were. A lot of them were kind of like already cooking, but that was also just because we really pressured ourselves to get it out quickly. You know, like after when you have a successful first album. You just want to be like, what sophomore slump? Well, we did it so of, quickly, yeah. you couldn't yeah. tell. I remember with the, that the phrase I kept having in my head around the time when Contra came out was just that we really needed to come out swinging. I was also just more uh, personally probably like insecure then, because when you know the, the first time that you present something to the public is also the first time. It's the first time that you get love and the first time that you get hate. And especially back 2007, 2008, those were some crazy times for buzz bands. Man. I mean, we're real veterans of the buzz band wars. Uh, you know, people starting to learn about blogs and stuff. I mean, that was that was a crazy time. So, you know, it, so with our second album, it really felt like we need to make this great. We need to make it different. We need to, like, really, like, show people, like, the another side of the band. And we also need to put it out relatively quickly. So we did put a lot of pressure on ourselves to um, kind of turn it around quickly. And then with this album... You know, after Contra came out, we kind of felt like, okay, now what's most important is just making something that we really believe in and that we're psyched about however long it takes. And it took about two years to make, and that feels like a, a decent amount of time to make That's a record. That's a good amount of time. I don't, you know, there's uh, some bands that I listened to growing up that would put out an album a year. Like Slater Kinney is a band I love, but they put out an album a year for like four years. And yeah. it, just, it, it got to a point where it's like, I needed more time with each album to, to really let it to, sink to, in. To before. digest and process it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like uh, another one example is Guided by Voices. They just like kept on putting stuff out, and it's just like, oh, right. after well, a while. Yeah, he's you... written like, yeah, what is it, like 30,000 songs yeah. or something? And he just keeps on putting out solo stuff. And... Yeah, I mean, I guess if, if you can, you should, but for us, it, to, it really takes a while to, to really get enough songs that we feel like are at the appropriate level. So it kind of, yeah, it works out nicely. I I was a little bit stressed out when we were making the last album because I thought that maybe we were gone way too long. I guess people always worry about stuff like that. You feel yeah. like, oh my God, so much time has Will passed. they remember us? Yeah, are we going to, when we come back, is it going to be like some kind of like weird reunion? And then, <laughs> yeah. of, of course, like, you know, going back to like the being connected to things, you have like kids on on Twitter being like, Oh man, like I loved your album. When your first album was that was like my jam in middle school. Like that's a weird you know, thing to hear. I'm about, I'm about to start at uh, you know Penn State. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, so there's that type of stuff, and you're like, oh my god, time's passing so quickly. But then you put it out; those years disappear, and it's like you know. Yeah. I always think it's kind of a, uh, it, the the idea of a band and doing two, three, four albums. It, it's a, there's that thing where people. It's like you make an album and then people love it and then the second one, it's got to be different enough but not too different. But if it's too much the same, then people are like, oh, they're just doing the same thing. But if it's too different, people are like, well, they've gone off the deep end. Like yeah. It's yeah. finding that how do you – how do you, you know, I guess I guess you just can't really make stuff with that in mind because you would fucking go crazy trying to figure out what people are going to want or think. But, yeah. but you know, but it seems like the public wants 
their bands to evolve but not evolve at the same time. <laughs> right. Well, you have to kind of slowly evolve. Thankfully, I think just, you know, being a, a music fan and growing up obsessively, you know, looking at the discography of bands that I loved, you know, obviously like the Beatles are the ultimate template, but then also The Clash or Radiohead, those are Beastie Boys, those are all bands that stick out as, you know, having had album to album changed and done some very different stuff, but ultimately it all kind of feels like right. It's all part of the same uh, story. So being a fan of those bands, at least, you know, when we're making a record, we don't have to worry about will the, you know, will, will like the world think that it's different enough? Because th- th- that's more or less what we demand of ourselves. We want to make something that feels like Vampire Weekend, but it's still kind of different. We wouldn't be satisfied if it sounded too much like the previous album. And then also the the sad part is occasionally we'll start working on something, but like, oh, this kind of just sounds like the last album, and it's always bad. We've never had something that was like, holy shit, this could be our biggest hit ever. It sounds a little too much like <laughs> A-Punk. Let's ditch it. Because it, it always sounds like the worst, you know, a shittier version of A-Punk, you know? Right. It's never mm-hmm. going to be top yourself. And also... So it's not like that we're particularly brave or anything. And also you look at people who kind of keep doing the same thing, and it's always diminishing returns. Nobody respects them. They don't respect themselves. It's, well, that's no. what, uh, you know, that last, that last Strokes album, they just got, they got fucking obliterated. Like, everyone was just saying, it's just another album. There wasn't yeah, that much did, of a I difference. Mean, they, they did some, there, uh, there's some deep cuts on that album where they did some pretty different stuff. But... Um, I guess, but I do, yeah, when their second album came out, which... Yeah, which, which had is, a bunch which, of different stuff. Which is great, but a lot of people, that was like the a big criticism that people had as they said that it sounded, even though I didn't think it was true, but it goes to show how much that idea of a band staying the same, like, you really have to work hard to avoid it, because even sometimes you make something that you think is different, and people will still say, oh, yeah. same, you know, same old bullshit. But, like, what, that's the thing, when bands change, and I like a band that evolves, you know, over time, like you're saying, like Beastie Boys and Beals for sure, um, but there's other bands that I, I like the product that they kind of, you know, put together originally. Like, they're, one of my favorite bands is The Weaker Thans, and I think I brought this up on the Deacon and Sarah uh, episode, where it's like, I like that when I, they put out a new album, it's going to be, it's going to be comfortable, it's going to be kind of like going home, mm. it's going to be like a, I'm, there's that sound that I'm going to that you know, they have a product, and I'm going to go to that store and get that product, which is like, you know, nice, even keel, like indie rock stuff, yeah. you know. It sounds like drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it kind yeah. of is. Well, you know, there, there was a recent study that said uh, that uh, drugs and, like, the, the reaction that people get with drugs and music are kind of similar. Like, uh, it, like, changes yeah. what's going on in your brain. Yeah. It releases. Makes you leave your, your family. family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lose your career. Yeah. Music right. has made a lot of people leave their families to go on the road. <laughs> okay, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To keep living the dream. Uh-huh. Yeah, they get back out there. I like what you said, though, about... I never thought of it that way. Is like when you said, like, with the BC Boys or Radiohead, it's like, well, it's still part of the same story. Maybe that's maybe that's what it is. It's, it's how do you stay consistent with that story? Because, obviously, you know, Radiohead, every album they make almost seems like... You know they're tr- daring the they're like try to follow this. You didn't see this coming. You right. know what I mean? I mean, but the difference between like you know from OK Computer to then you know when they did uh, Kid A and the and the Amnesiac and it's right. just like it got more the cor- the chords and the electronic stuff were harder a little harder to follow and sink into. Yeah. But then ultimately. It was like, I still accept that as like, oh, yeah, it's all part of their thing. Right. And also you imagine some kid. Yeah, because you're right. When when Kid A came out, people were like, 
I mean, some people were like, this is insane. This is so <laughs> crazy. This is so weird. Whereas, like, imagine some kid today who, who's 15 and is, like, starting to get into music and they start to, like, Radiohead and somebody, like, is like, oh, yeah, listen, okay, computer, listen to kid. I, they'd probably, they'd just, it made it would make perfect sense. Yeah. They wouldn't be scratching their head and be like, this is the same band, you know? Yeah. It, but then they give them Pablo Honey to be like, who are these grunge losers? <laughs> right. Well, yeah, that's possible. But it, uh... It all ultimately it all makes sense, and yeah, it's because you get the sense that they were doing exactly what they wanted to. The worst is when the band changes, and it seems like they're kind of doing it in a half-assed way, like they're kind of making their like corny out like sellout album, and then you don't respect it. But if if you really if there's like conviction. Then I do think it does feel like part of the same story. Boy, that's got to feel so bad when if you make if you make a bunch of albums and you're always sort of on the cusp, and then finally you throw up your hands. You're like, "Fine, I'll give the public what it wants," and then the public doesn't want that, and you're like, <laughs> "Oh no, yeah. oh that feels real well, bad." That's a weird thing about like you know I like I re- you know Weezer really dropped off uh, for me like. Uh, like 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 it's not even the same band to me anymore. But it's like, and you think it's like, well, that's how Rivers evolved as a songwriter. But you can't really say that same. because he like he says it in his lyrics that he's trying to make hit songs. Like he wants to be like a big huge rock star. He wants to be compared to Justin Timberlake, and you know, you don't think he he's being to- ironic. I don't think so. It seems like you know, like music has to be sincere, and it's it seems really sincere. I remember that. And in uh, interviews, he says the same thing. I remember the I remember the Pumpkins album, the Smashing Pumpkins album, when they came out with Melancholy and the Infinite Zenith, like that double disc. Yeah. Was that the one? Did that one blow up, or did that one not do? That, that was the huge yeah, one. That was, that was the huge one. one. And then the, the one that they followed it up with, like the public wasn't as into. That was when they started yeah, edging towards leather. We and, must never be. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wait, was it uh, a door or machinima? I think it was a. Or was it Ava? Do- I forget what Ava, it was called. Yeah. Ava Dora. Oh, yeah, Ava Dora. I think people were like kind of into it, but it was I, I melancholy just, was so huge. I just remember yeah. hearing him on the uh, yeah, because that's when he went from like the ice cream man outfit to like the fucking like go- like the Uncle Fester goth like yeah. brr, and then like the full body leather mm. cape. What was that? Uh, the, you know, the world is a vampire. Song, yeah, you know, r- yeah. Randy Cage. <laughs> like it's just like it just all of a sudden it was just like oh they're goth now. I had no idea. But then the album and then, then that yeah that album that didn't do as well. I remember on Howard Stern he was really mad and frustrated. He was like I don't know what happened. The fans just weren't there for us on this one. And I'm sure in their mind they were like yeah every album going to evolve in this new mm-hmm. way and we're going to try to break ground and we're going to try to but I guess I guess I don't know maybe there's no formula to it it's like well sometimes that works and sometimes it just doesn't work yeah but it's also like yeah if the fans weren't there for that one album it's like look at how everybody you know teenagers and people in their 20s and 30s are all obsessed with Fleetwood Mac Tusk now yeah. Oh, yeah. Like that's like the biggest hit album of the past five years in some circles is Tusk. Yeah, and that was exactly that. The fans weren't there for them coming off one of the biggest albums of all time. That was considered this big failure, and like, who cares now? Now everybody loves it. So you know, I guess that's fans true. have to be ready for a a bit of failure. I, re- I mean, I'm not I'm, I'm not ready, but I read <laughs> I, I read about that. I was reading about that with when Magical Mystery Tour came out. Everyone was like. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? You know, and that has what doesn't have that fool on the hill yeah. and like like, yeah. like like there's some amazing songs on Magical Mystery Tour, oh, but great. at the, but at the time, you know, just from what I was read, the press was like, well, they've gone off the deep end. Yeah. Like they don't know what any of this right. crazy 
weird counterculture well, it wasn't shit a real, is. That wasn't a real album. No, it was just it was like a, a soundtrack. Right, it was a nutty movie. Shitty movie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that didn't help. There was no help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but ultimately, I think if people make something that they truly believe in, even if it the, it's not quite as successful as some previous stuff, like the audience eventually will come around to it. Yeah, yeah like, that's how I feel like. I like Beck's entire catalog. I think mm. it's fucking amazing. But I wasn't really into Sea Change when it came out. But then I went back and listened to it. I was like, oh my god! I wanted to like Sea Change so much because of how much I dug Mutations, and I thought it was going to be another one right, like right, Mutations. Right. And when it wasn't, I was like, this is Have boring. you revisited it? Yes, it's great. That's so good. But it's also it's just cool to look back, even if that's not your favorite album. At least you can say like he made Sea Change, Mutations, uh, Midnight Vultures, yeah. Yeah. all in a row. And that's like, in, you know, he didn't repeat himself. It's like some people are going to prefer one, but, it's you know, that's a yeah. respectable career. Yeah. I just uh, I just ordered uh, some girl uh, did a selections from his songbook. You know how he, he oh, released yeah. a songbook yeah. of all the arrangements and yeah. all like that? And uh, I'm waiting for that record to show up. But it's like some girl that did her version of all those songs. Oh, that's oh, cool. Yeah, so it should yeah. be neat. I've played through some. It's pretty good. Yeah. But I, I guess... Uh, it's the sort of the difference between, well, are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it for the audience? And, but then at what point do you sort of like, well, it's for all of us, you know, like, cause you can sort of go into that. I mean, the, the amazing thing to me about someone like Beck is that he sort of rides that rail between like any, any one of them, people like, could be like, fuck you, you know, like that right. could be it. Oh, that yeah. is self. And you're just doing that for you. And it's yeah. too private that no one else. You're, could doing, find you're doing that for you and Xenu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so far, I think the the interests of the band and our audience have more or less been the exact same. So we've been lucky. Could they diverge in the future? We start wanting to make some like weird fuck you shit, and people say fuck <laughs> yeah. you back to us. What's your favorite genre? Weird fuck you shit. Yeah, the most I mean, it could happen, but I guess yeah. As long as you are psyched about what you're putting out there into the world, it's kind of all you can hope for. But so far, it's been it's been nice and. And truthfully, we've done there's stuff on our our newest album that is sounds like a completely different band than the first one. It has it has almost nothing to do with, um, you know, the sounds or the the ideas on the first album. And yet, when we go and play these songs side by side, people kind of like fill in the gaps and kind of make it all work because they they're they're able to look at it as one band. So I don't know. I think you got to like ultimately just give people credit that. That they'll, you know, be do you, down. But do you write? Do you ever write anything where you go, "Oh, this isn't really Vampire Weekend. It's a different identity." Like, do you have a stash, like a stockpile of stuff that's like, "No, this is for yeah. something else." I don't know what usually, I don't know what it is. Usually rap lyrics. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, but I can't. And, and sometimes I can like integrate it into Vampire Weekend, but sometimes it's just too. Uh, uh, I don't know. A lot of times when like I listen to it's too tight. To rap, science is too tight. Science it's, is too tight. It's a little bit too tight. I don't want to like. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to blow up the spot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're already killing it in the rock world. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to make. Yeah. We all remember what happened when rock and rap met. Woodstock '99. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was gonna <laughs> was say, bring classic. the noise, Anthrax. Oh, Anthrax with well, uh, Public, Public Enemy. Public that was yeah, that was all from the uh, Judgment Night soundtrack. That was from I'm, Judgment Night? Yeah. The Judgment Night soundtrack had, like, they paired oh, yeah. up everybody. Sonic Youth and Cypress Hill. Sonic Youth and Cypress Hill. Right. I'm trying to remember some of the other. Uh, De La Soul and... Teenage Fan Club. Teenage Fan Club, that's right. Yeah. yeah it was just a, a bunch of, like, rock and... It's a yeah. fucking great soundtrack. I mean, truthfully, I, ultimately, I do believe, that, you know, it's all music and that, you know, it's take inspiration from all over the place and, you know, it all kind of 
blends together. But yeah, I just it's sometimes when I listen to uh, I don't know, like I've been like really obsessed with this uh, ASAP Ferg album. And like a lot of times, I find like when I listen to it, I start like writing rhymes in my head that kind of like uh, mimic the rhythms of what I'm hearing. And sometimes it actually turns into something that I can take back into Vampire Weekend. But sometimes it it just uh, doesn't make sense to, <laughs> to try to to try to sing some of those words, you know. But I think that that's where you always have an opportunity to at a live show. You could experiment with something totally weird, and if it doesn't work, you know, then people are like, "Oh, we get to see a fun weird thing experiment." And if it does connect. That's true. I mean, I, yeah, I did. We did this cover of Blurred Lines, and I, I rapped the <laughs> Ti part. That was the last time I, I rapped publicly. I used to rap a lot when I was a kid. It's really into like freestyle battling. What? Wow. Yeah. What? This is why is this not turned up somewhere? Well, it, there people have found like bits of it that you know this like one rap group I had. Nobody's ever found this full rap album that I made in high school. Do you, <laughs> do you have it? Thankfully, it's uh. I don't even know if I have it. What if your dad actually sends it out with a listserv? Like, oh, yeah, sends it to the Koenig family. Yeah. <laughs> There's some rap in our yeah. lineage. And it's like, it's like five generations ago, and they're on these weird uh, fucking steampunk turntables. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, We've had rappers in our family <laughs> since steampunk 19th century Poland. Yeah, yeah. I like that they have to, like, there's, like, a pedal that, to make the turntables No, there's down. a horse. There's a horse. Oh, and a horse. horse walks on oh. a on a to thing. Power the gramophones. Yeah, 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 powers, and then it's, and then they basically stop the horse and get him to walk forward and backwards so it goes like he doesn't and the horse wow. turns the camera and goes really yeah. uh, picture. but, it's, it. but it sounds every, like and, and every, everybody says hey and the horse freaks out yeah <laughs> that's for me <laughs> but it just it sounds like it sounds like you know like Alexander Graham Bell come in here I need you I need you I need you it's just all it's all horse powered horse powered steampunk that's a fucking yeah. that's what kids are doing how now, many guys. Horse, what's the horsepower just, just one, one it's like one a horse, horse like a horse or a half yeah. a horse this yeah. is a great concept just, <laughs> <laughs> I think like steampunk hip hop would be fucking amazing where if you had to create the instrument sort of like the um, like the Fat Albert Junkyard Band Gang yeah. yeah where it's like you have to you have to create the instruments and they're they're all like man powered somehow yeah. man or steam powered and uh, you and just then, created the roots <laughs> I created them. Also, remember the the California Love video? Yeah, doing the Mad Max thing, which yes. is like a little bit steampunk, like yeah. goggles on your head and wear. It looked great on Tupac. It could totally work. I mean, because yeah. number one, the sound would be really cool. Number two, the aesthetic would be amazing. Yeah, I think this is. Listen, this if you want to do this idea. with us, if you want to do this with us, you're more than welcome right, to this is happening. stick around. The tour, you can put it off, yeah. and then we'll just make this. I, 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 I have an uncle who has a line into some brass that we could <laughs> okay. get, and we Perfect. could stain it with acid, and then Your brass uncle, my brass uncle, yeah, <laughs> Give him some of that it's brass. going to be really good. It's going to be really great. Um, where are you guys going next? San Diego. Okay. And then kind of just like touring America for a couple of weeks, then a show in Mexico, then a couple of weeks off. But the next few months, it's like just all over the place, Europe, Australia. Where do you live most of the time? New York? New York. Yeah. yeah. You, have a, you have a girlfriend? Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> Having a girlfriend's nice, you guys. I got two emails from two of my friends that knew I was doing this podcast. They're both girls. And they're like, ask me if he's got a girlfriend. And I said, all right. Done. Oh, wow. I did it. So I thought you were about to say that you had two girlfriends. Yeah. One, one upping me. If you, were, if you were in Boston this <laughs> weekend. One-upping you. Yeah. There are people that are like that. I have a girlfriend. No, I got two girlfriends. Yeah. <laughs> I don't fucking... It's a Kristen Wiig character. I got two girlfriends. Yeah, yeah, it is, right. it is, yeah it is she does that character. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in San Diego. Have you guys ever been to Comic-Con in San Diego? No. But you know what? We just... 
never been there. Although there was a Comic Con, I don't know how well known it is, but we had a day off in uh, Columbus, Ohio, and there's a Comic Con going on. Awesome. Walked past a lot of oh nice super girls, <laughs> <laughs> who are also very super it's girls. A super yeah. girl convention. <laughs> Well, if you ever get a chance, maybe come out to Comic-Con. We should have a concert at Comic-Con. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd very psyched to be here in this comic book store. I, I used to be so obsessed with comic books. What was your, uh, what was your, what was your jam? Issue. Oh, X-Men. Yeah. yeah. I, I still am obsessed with X-Men. As you should be. I, I just always felt like it was the, the richest batch of characters, and it had, like, the most social commentary. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the cartoon. Of our youth. Doo-doo-doo-doo. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was great. <laughs> there are entire X-Men cases here. At my I got to go look through it. Yeah. I've been wanting to reread the uh, Age of Apocalypse. Are you guys come? Nice. Are you familiar with it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really like the pinnacle. The old Jim, I like the old Jim Lee fucking X-Men stuff. Jim hangs out here sometimes. Jim has been. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. We can show you his offices in Burbank. Oh, cool. <laughs> I want to go to Burbank? You want to go to Burbank? I'll show, you, I'll show you Jim Lee's <laughs> you know, We record a lot of this album in Burbank. Oh, do you really? I'm, I love Burbank. It's so, so, so weird. So when you talk about modern vampires in the city, it's the city of Burbank. The city of Burbank. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a real city. <laughs> I wouldn't consider anything in Burbank to be modern, though. Your album's entirely no, I, inspired I love, by yeah. Johnny Carson monologues. Yeah. <laughs> the, we were recording this like very suburban part of Burbank. That, that's just where um, Ariel... Oh, was it uh, Burbank? What? <laughs> um, yeah, it was the whole, the whole town. But I would always go have lunch at this place called Full of Life. That's like a health food store that looks like it started in the 50s, which I love because obviously, especially here in L.A., which is like the health food capital of the world, you got all these juice places and stuff. And this is just like straight up old school health food where you get like, you know, it's a kind of like uh, sprouts and avocado on health bread. You know, like old school stuff. Yeah, yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. that like healthy people now would never eat. Yeah. And it's just like such a great vibe. But that, to me, that's some kind of like only in Burbank well, shit. Uh, yeah. Well, Burbank, like large swaths of Burbank are untouched by like franchise. You know, it's like there's still so many like weird independently owned restaurants, toy shops, right, yeah. bars. Yeah. But ironically... A lot of gun shops. Yes. yes. But except, except for the one, like, by our offices, yeah. there's yeah. that fucking, like, it's Ironically, all... when I think I want to go to Chili's, I have to, like, drive to Burbank or something. You well, because I mean? because yeah, by like, our offices is closer to downtown Burbank, the, like, near the airport, and there is that giant where there's, like, the Lowe's, the Starbucks, there's, like, 50 things in one... Burbank's the place, if you want to go to Ikea, you can go there. And if you I've want a custom-made hat that looks just like Indiana Jones's hat, that guy's a tiny store is out there. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like stuntmen hang out in Burbank. They probably yeah. do. Like that that's where like the falling into roll. beds at IKEA just to be like that's <laughs> the one. Yeah. That's the one. <laughs> Jumping Love it. off the <laughs> oh. All right, so we're gonna head to Burbank. All right, let's um, do it. It's gonna be fucking fun. That's we're at an hour, man. That was, wow. that, was that was our hour. That just breezed by. It fly, it flies by. Yeah. It really flies by. Anything you want to get off your chest before you go. Man. Well, no, no, no. Yeah, no, they're good. Uh, yeah I'm good, I'm good. Does Epiphone uh, now send you guitars? They've they've hooked us up sometimes, but it's like, don't need them. Right. Got, got the Sheridan. You got the Happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't a, broke. Don't fix it. I'm a simple man. I'm just fascinated by that. Just being satisfied with the Sheridan. Matt has like I think 30 guitars. The theme of the day has been satisfaction. And yeah. what does it mean for different people and... We've never had a guest who very succinctly tied up the theme of the podcast at the end, but I'm thinking about it, and you're exactly right. That's exactly what it is. From your nephew. I mean, that's the the From the nephew to satisfied with the Babar. To the um, jacket. jacket? To the guitar. To being satisfied as being a stuntman out in Burbank. Yeah. Weirdly, we we never mentioned Mick Jagger. 
We, I was gonna. We could have played that at the end. I'm sorry. That's okay. Oh, let's play. Let's play the Devo version. <laughs> I can't get no yeah. satisfaction. The Devo version of Satisfaction is uh, almost as good as the Folksman version of uh, Start Me Up. Yeah, I don't know it. that. It's from the soundtrack to A Mighty Wind. Oh, Mighty Wind. Uh, yeah. yeah. So Michael McKeon just saying. <laughs> Well, we'll end on that. Do you have a cover of that? Of Start Me Up? Of, or Satisfaction? No, I never, never did a Stones song. It's not a bad idea. Yeah. Do you want to get the band over, or should we not do it now, and we'll just do it now? We'll, we'll send it in. Okay, we'll great. Send it in. Oh, I, I wanted to know, uh, how did you guys get together with uh, Richard Iowade to do your video? Oh. oh, well, one of the first times that we went to... Uh, London, like when our, our record label's based in London, and so they they flew us out. And I remember on the way back, I'd heard a little bit about the show Mighty Boosh, and I remember we were all sitting in a row. This is when we used to sit next to each other on long plane rides. It feels very <laughs> quaint to think back, just like for because most people in bands, you know, you spend so much time together, everybody wants their space on a plane. Yeah. But this is like us, just like these like four nerds, just like four in a row, just on this flight, like sitting next to each other. And I remember. I was like, oh, maybe I'll check out the show Mighty Boosh. And there were two um, episodes on that they had on the in-flight entertainment system, one of which I remember was Nanageddon, which was one of my favorite <laughs> episodes. And I was laughing so hard that, like, the dude behind me had to, like, be like, hey, man, I'm eating. You're, like, you're, like shaking my water. <laughs> and everybody else watched it, and everybody, we all became obsessed. And then we'd watch it all the time. So we were always basically saying to the label, they'd say, oh, we need somebody, to, we're going to do a TV commercial, we need somebody to, to do the voiceover, and we'd be like, oh, get somebody from the Mighty Boosh, and then they'd be like, oh, you need to do a video, and be like, oh, can we get somebody from the Mighty Boosh, and yeah. they, so then they hooked us up with Richard, and and it was perfect. That's rad. Yeah. Uh, he's great. Yeah, yeah. Former podcast Former guest, Richard Ayalante. Yeah, we love him. Yeah. Cool. All right, well, enjoy your burrito, everyone. Cool. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. 